arts news from around the area. Welcome to The Creative Cafe, sponsored by the Arts Council of Greater Kalamazoo, promoting and supporting the arts, arts organizations, and artists throughout Greater Kalamazoo on 590 and 106.9 FM WKZO. And a good Saturday morning, once again, 31 degrees in Kalamazoo. Thank you very much for joining us, and welcome to this morning's edition of Creative Cafe. And your host, Kristen Chesick, good morning. Good morning, Happy New Year. And a Happy New Year to you as well. Hopefully all went well over the uh, holiday breaks. Had a great break over the holiday, (laughs) enjoyed every minute of it. But we're back, we're back in the studio. Indeed. Yes, so, and we're back with our segment, This Day in History. Today is January 7th. And in 1891, Zora Neale Hurston is born. She is a novelist and folklorist. Uh, she was born in Notasolga, Alabama. And at the time of her death in 1960, Hurston had published more books than any other black woman in America. She was unable to capture a mainstream audience in her life, and she actually died poor and alone in a welfare hotel. But today, she is seen as one of the most important black writers in American history. In fact, she didn't finish high school, but she actually prepared herself for college and went to Howard University and in 1925 moved to New York and became a central figure in the Harlem Renaissance. She published many books. She collaborated with folks like Langston Hughes. She had novels. Uh, her first novel, uh, Men and uh, Mules, uh, Mules and Men, became a best-selling work during her lifetime, but she only earned $943.75 on the work. So um, she actually continued to write all through her life. She worked on and off as a maid near the end of her life and died in poverty in 1960. In the 1970s, her work was almost forgotten but was revived by feminist and black studies scholars in the anthology I Love Myself When I'm Laughing and Then Again When I'm Looking Mean and Impressive, which was published in 1979. So we're glad Zora Neale Hurston was born and all of the work that she contributed to uh, literature. Then on this day in 1894, William Dixon captures... Um, the first motion picture, it's called Fred Ott's Sneeze. It's two seconds. I had to look it up. <laughs> um, and yes, it is Fred Ott, I think. I don't know who Fred Ott is, and he sneezes. Oh. But that was actually recorded at Thomas Edison's Black Mariah Studio, 1894. Oh. I know. In 1925, the musical Big Boy with Al Jolson premieres in New York City. Al Jolson was a jazz singer and a silent actor. He was the star of the first talking picture and a proponent of black rights as early as 1911. But in all of this, we cannot forget that this was also the person that uh, embodied one of the most shameful parts of our artistic past, where we thought it was okay for white people to perform in blackface. So we kind of forget about that. Um... So I just thought I'd bring it up this morning. (laughs) Moving on to a lighter note. In 1950, on this day, January 7th, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer uh, makes number one in the U.S. pop charts. So I do have a question about that because it's January 7th, and what radio station was torturing people all the way through the holidays (laughs) and after with Rudolph to make it reach number one? Hmm. But the story behind this story is in, uh, it's an 1823 poem, right? A visit from St. Nicholas. Uh, But our knowledge of Rudolph, the most famous reindeer of all, didn't happen during that poem. It actually comes courtesy of a department store copywriter named Robert May. 
Uh, May's songwriter brother-in-law set the words to music, and a singing cowboy made a household name of May's creation. So in 1939, Montgomery Ward, those of you who remember Montgomery Ward, Mm -hmm. it's a Chicago-based retailer and catalog giant, was seeking a cheaper holiday giveaway than the children's coloring books that they had purchased and distributed. So they wanted to create their own original Christmas storybook from scratch, and this is where Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was born. Uh, It wasn't until 10 years later, however, that um, Rudolph came into conscious national consciousness and the song was recorded, and it actually was recorded by legend Gene Autry, and Hmm. it is now the most popular song. More than 200 million units sold, uh, only for si- for Christmas, uh, only second to a white Christmas. So, there you go. There's where Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer came <laughs> from. And he was first on this day in 1950. In 1955, Marian Anderson becomes the first Amer- African-American to perform at the Met Opera. So January 7th, 1955, the curtain rises on the Metropolitan Opera in New York to reveal Marian Anderson... She was in the twilight of her career that was equal parts acclaimed and hamstrung by racism. She was first noticed by her aunt who convinced her to join the church choir. I know when we've talked with different artists in the past that that's uh, uh, one of the routes that folks take uh, to becoming famous artists is they start in their church choir. She became a sensation um, in her church choir. She, she uh, then struck out early in her career in the eastern United States, but was thwarted by um, <laughs> racism and segregation. So she escaped to Europe for a little while. She became a sensation in Scandinavia. And uh, major figures such as composer Jean Sibelius and conductor Arturo Toscanini praised her as a singular vocal talent. So she uh, made her name over in Europe. She came back to the United States and um, understandably uh, was still dealing with racism. She was denied bookings, hotel rooms, and other basic opportunities. And in fact, in 1939, the Daughters of the American Revolution refused to let her perform at the Constitution Hall. And uh, in protest for that, President Franklin D. Roosevelt and his wife Eleanor actually resigned from the DAR in protest. Hmm. So by 1950, the Met had come to understand uh, her talents, and they signed her on. She only sang one opera with the Met, but she remained in the company for the rest of her life. She retired in 1965 and passed away in 1993. Also on this day in 1970, farmers sue the folks that um, put together... The Woodstock Festival, $35,000 in damages. So, and, and we all know that that was quite the party. Yes, it was. Yes. 1985, there was a revival of Rodgers and Hammerstein's musical, The King and I. Uh, apparently, it was still starring Yul Brenner, so he, he made a, a, a resurgence of that. Okay. Um, and that, was, that ran for 191 performances. In 1995, on this day, the one-man show, Patrick Stewart, A Christmas Carol, closes at the Rogers Theater. 18 performances. 
So apparently we appreciated him more uh, at the Royal Shakespeare <laughs> Festival or on TV in Star Trek than we did as a Christmas Carol. So that's that's too bad. But that's what happened in 1995 on this day. In 1996, uh, the musical featuring George and Ira Gershwin's music, Crazy for You, closes at the Schubert Theater after 1,622 performances. And it won three Tony Awards. So very popular music and uh, and and... The musical itself, the storyline in that musical is great. And in 2011, The King's Speech, starring Colin Firth, Jeffrey Rush, and uh, Helena Bonham Carter, is released in the UK. So that's what happened on this day in uh, January 7th in history. Just um, to let you also know, I know we, we've put it on social media and we've put it out um, in other places, press release and that kind of thing. But I'm taking the opportunity this morning to congratulate Kalamazoo being ranked in the top 40 for Arts Vibrant Communities by SMU Data Arts. Oh, excellent. Yes. Uh, so this is a national research center. Um, they released, and so it's an arts vibrancy index. It examines the level of supply, demand, and government support for the arts in 900 communities across the country. And Kalamazoo ended up not only in the top 40, but in the top 10 for mid-sized cities. Nice. And I'm going to say it, we beat Ann Arbor. (laughs) (laughs) So nothing against Ann Arbor, but I I know that Ann Arbor is one heck of an arts vibrant city. And they were also ranked in the top 10 of mid-sized cities. Mm -hmm. So that is good as well. Um, and why do we care? Well, we care because this is a great place to live. And now the rest of the nation knows it's a great place to live too. It's a vibrant arts community. This return on investment also shows that how indispensable arts and culture is and the contribution to our community's economy and our public life. So congratulations to us. Next time you see an artist walking down the street, say thank you for your contribution Mm -hmm. to the great place that we live in. And when I come back, I will be talking with Rob Barrett, speaking of artists. He has a show that uh, we just opened yesterday in our uh, gallery at the Western Gallery at the Arts Council of Greater Kalamazoo. All right. We'll join up with uh, rejoin Kristen and the guests coming up on News Radio 590, 106.9 FM, WKZO. Kalamazoo is rich in arts and culture. Our commercial, educational, and creative economies thrive when our community has spaces and places to connect and outlets for creative expression. The arts improve individual well-being, drives tourism, sparks creativity, and strengthens our bonds. The Arts Council of Greater Kalamazoo encourages you to give to an arts organization of your choosing. We are better together because of the arts. Visit KalamazooArts.org to see all of the happenings in our community. That's KalamazooArts.org or on any of our social media platforms. This message is brought to you by the Arts Council of Greater Kalamazoo, proudly supporting more than 200 artists and arts organizations in our community. The Arts Council of Greater Kalamazoo exists to infuse arts and culture into the commercial, educational, and creative economies of our region. You're listening to The Creative Cafe, sponsored by the Arts Council of Greater Kalamazoo on 590 and 106.9 FM, WKZO. And we do continue with this morning's edition of Creative Cafe. And once again, your host, Kristen Chesick. 
Good morning, and we're back. I am here in the studio with Rob Barrett, local artist, and we're talking this morning about the exhibit that he is showing in our gallery there at the Epic Center on the Weston Gallery uh, that opened yesterday. So good morning, Rob. Good morning. What is your favorite morning beverage? Uh, I have it with me. It's uh, just like a, I'm not fancy by any means, but it's just like a morning blend coffee with a little bit of cream and then yeah. uh, tree juice. I like to throw some maple syrup in there. Maple syrup. Yeah. Oh, hey. All right. It's a, it's a little different. It's it a, little a little different, different, but man. Yeah. It gets you going in the morning. It's just, it's good. Maple syrup is pretty, I've discovered the... Uh, the joys yeah, of maple syrup. The joys syrup. of maple yeah. syrup. Good. Uh, yes, there are a lot of people out there that love maple syrup. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how many people I've ever run into that put it in their coffee, but it makes sense. Yeah. Add a little sweetness to it, mm-hmm. I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, that's, okay. Yep. Good. So you're caffeinated. Thank you for doing that this morning <laughs> because it is early for all of us. I do. I have my caffeine as well. Like I said before, we're showing we're showing your work in the Weston Gallery in the mm-hmm. Epic Center. Uh, that'll be there for all of January. How long have you been working as an artist? Um, professionally, like dedicated, um, yeah. only, I mean, since COVID started basically, like I'm another person who lost their job because of it mm-hmm. and you know, I just, I went for it, but, um, you I've been, were an artist before that though. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, started drawing and coloring as a kid, then right. took art classes. Right. Uh, you know, my parents encouraged me to do it. They're like, Oh, this is what he likes. Cool. Uh-huh. Um, so but COVID put you right into the full time. You went for it. Yeah. Like after, I mean, that was the third time that, you know, in the traditional like occupational setting, the nine to five or just having the safe job. Yeah. Like it was the third time that circumstances beyond my own control affected that situation. So I'm just like, you know what? Forget about it. I'm just going to go for this and see what happens and Mm -hmm. try to figure it out. So I'm still relatively young as a professional, like a, you know. Professional artist. Yeah, sure. So what's your medium? Um, primarily acrylics. I dabble with watercolor and mm-hmm. pen from time to time, but, um, acrylics are just, you know, they're pretty inexpensive mm-hmm. and they're like dry quickly. So they're fast to work with. And mm-hmm. because I'm pretty methodical when I do paint, mm-hmm. um, I like having that flexibility of like time, right? Cause right. oils are, I know people say they're more vibrant, but they just take okay. longer. There's more mm-hmm. effort in babysitting it. <laughs> so, oh, okay. you know, okay. I just... I like to focus on doing the art itself and not necessarily the yeah. having to worry about how much money I have to buy the stuff or like clean up. <laughs> right. Well, I can attest to how vibrant your work is. So oh, the acrylics, acrylics are not holding you back in any sense. Uh, the, the work is up right now in our studio. Very vibrant work. What's the show that's up in our up in our gallery right now about? Um, so a lot of my work, especially recently, and there are some older pieces, a, a couple older pieces, but most of the work is within the last like two or three years. Hmm. And really, I I find the universe fascinating. I find art techniques fascinating. I'm trying to figure out ways to take these, to take the idea of humanity's relationship with the universe, how we relate to each other, Mm -hmm. but also take some art techniques like poor art and, Hmm. you know, drag art or whatever that are popular in TikTok and social Mm -hmm. media and find more interesting ways to apply them to art because I feel like it doesn't need to stop at just that. Like, why can't you layer things on top of each other and, you know, people like to say that most art has already been, like, created. Like, there's no new ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And I just disagree with that. I, you know, I like to have fun with these, with those things. Wait, okay. So. Yeah. Um, you lived and worked for a time in Chicago. Mm-hmm. 
Um, what parallels do you see between the Chicago art scene and Kalamazoo? The biggest one is just the passion for it. Like, obviously, Chicago has more, you know, human power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's big. <laughs> By a pretty big margin. Yeah, exactly. But the passion still is is there. I mean, Chicago and the Midwest in general has some really great art cities in it. Like, it gets overlooked sometimes. And, um, you know, that, that whole, like, community involvement, the engagement, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things going on. Which is actually part of the reason why I moved back here because it's so hyper competitive and frankly it's expensive okay. to be a part of. Um, but yeah, that passion and and love for art is there. You can tell. I mean, it's one of the most architecturally beautiful cities in the world. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was it was cool. Like I enjoyed my time there. Yeah. Okay. It was just time to come back for a little while. All right. Um, it's always interesting to me because we all have a creative side and that comes out in different ways. Uh, yours is coming out now in acrylic painting. What drew you to that art form? I know you've talked about the practical side of it, but sure. just painting or drawing in general, what, what, is, uh, what about that kind of fills, fills up your cup? Um, yeah, so it, it might be weird, but I like the feeling of paint on a brush and applying it to canvas like that feeling like uh-huh. now my kind of pay the bills job that I do part time mm-hmm. I paint houses and buildings <laughs> okay. like I'm literally touching a brush pretty much all day at this point uh-huh. I like it um and when you can further apply like your own concepts and mm-hmm. in this case for me like it's been a little surrealist and my dreams are involved okay. um when you get to apply those with something that feels good, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it all it just feels, it feels, it just feels good. Okay. Just straight up. It, that's. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about the show that's in our gallery right now being um, a little bit exploring the universe. Uh, mm-hmm. So what do you want people to think about when they're looking at your work? Do you, do you ever go at your work in that sense? Or is it just more about the statement that you're trying to make? Um. I think I under yeah. Um, so essentially, if when people look at my work, I don't want them to look at it and just move on. Okay. Um, I think that's kind of one of the biggest. I think that's a failure. If someone looks at your work and just kind of moves on, mm-hmm. you failed in generating. Either the idea wasn't good enough, the work wasn't necessarily good enough to capture them, um, or you didn't execute it well enough, and. You know, I just want people to, and you'll notice, like, with the titles of my work, I like to play with them mm-hmm. and try to generate that. Mm-hmm. And some people don't like it because it's like, you don't need to hold my hand, but whatever. I want to make it accessible for everybody and get the the gears moving in their brains. So I really just want people to stand there and think about what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. And if I can accomplish that, then at least mm-hmm. I know that that's touched them. Okay. If they just move on and there's no interaction oh, yeah. whatsoever, then I know that I failed. Okay. So, and what are they going to be looking at? Oh, a variety of things. The okay. human, the human form is certainly uh-huh. an aspect of my work. I mean, I'm okay. relatively classically trained from going to college and everything. So, yeah. live figure drawings a big element of who I am as an artist, and okay. I find it to be very important. Okay. Um, some psychedelic stuff. Uh, that poor art is pretty wild if you can manipulate it in a particular way. Uh-huh. Um, you'll, in fact, one of my pieces actually, part of it was inspired by an image from the James Webb telescope. It's the, what, Pillars of Creation Nebula, uh-huh. um, is behind one of those pieces. Uh, so yeah, it's, yeah. 
Uh, and I your just pieces, feel like I'm getting to rambling. <laughs> no, no, you're not. You're definitely not. You're, and your pieces are fairly large in scale. So I, I, um, I know we talked about that before you installed, yeah. and then I came back in this week, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, those are big. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. It's fun to work big. Okay. Um, that's one of the reasons why, like, I'm a fan of Jackson Pollock, not necessarily because of what it is, yeah. but just the sheer scale of scale. what he was doing is impressive. Okay. All right. Uh, you're you're, you're going to have a reception in your gallery that's coming mm-hmm. up on Friday the 13th, next Friday from 7 Spooky. to 9. Uh, what can I ex- can I come to the reception? Is that can can everybody listening come to the reception? Yes, all are welcome to come to the exhibition. Okay. Um, I encourage everybody to to stop by. It's on the second floor, um, Weston Gallery, and we're we're gonna have a good time. There's gonna be some music playing. I'll have some refreshments there. You know. Okay. For everybody. Be able to be there to answer questions. Oh yeah, I'll be hanging out and. Okay. I hope there's lots of questions. Please ask away. Don't be. Okay. I'm not. I won't bite. Okay. And where can I see uh, some of your other works? Do you have a website? Yes. Uh, my Instagram, all my social media. If you search Rob's Mental Playground, mm-hmm. it's been my thing since college. It's too late to change it. Uh, or right. Rob's, robsmentalplayground.com, and that links mm-hmm. to and that links anything everything. important. And yeah. you can actually buy artwork off of that website, yes? Uh, yes, you can buy originals. You cannot. Um, but prints, I've got all sorts of like canvas ah, gotcha. prints, metal okay. prints. I like to be contacted for originals because shipping can be kind of weird. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. But the originals that are up in the gallery are for sale. Yes. The show that's yes. Going on right now. If you see my work, it's for sale. Okay. Generally. Fantastic. <laughs> well, Rob, thanks for coming in this morning and talking to us. Thank you so us. much. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the reception. Looking forward to having your show up in our gallery for the rest of the month. Me too. Next week, we're going to be talking about Art Hop. Ooh, Okay. And that's it for this edition of Creative Cafe. All right. Sounds very good. I appreciate you both coming in this morning. And thank you for joining us for this morning's edition of Creative Cafe, a presentation of the Arts Council of Greater Kalamazoo. So make sure you join us again next Saturday morning. Thanks for taking the time this morning to join us at the Creative Cafe. The arts are a vast subdivision of culture composed of many creative endeavors and disciplines. Art can include forms as diverse as prose writing, poetry, dance, acting or drama, film, music, sculpture, photography, illustration, architecture, collage, painting, craft and fashion. The Arts Council strives to support all these art forms and the creators that bring the art to us. But we can't do it alone. If you are a local business looking to deepen your connection to the community, consider an arts sponsorship. It creates visibility, improves your company's reputation, and generates traffic through your business both online and through sales. Sponsorships also help keep ticket prices down to allow for more access to arts events in our community. If you are looking to support your community and drive business to your business, contact the Arts Council at KalamazooArts.org and we'll help you find a sponsorship that's right for you. It's a win-win. Now you know.